My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Now, if you look at that particular market alone, you might think, oh, you know, the market's slowing down, you know, the property's starting to go backwards, you know, all those kinds of uh, assumptions. But if you look at the cheaper end of the market or the more affordable ends, I'm actually seeing a lot more activity at this end of the market. This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyrone Shum and in this episode of Invest Like a Pro, we're chatting with founder and director of Housefinder, Simon Liu. He shares his thoughts on the latest Australian property boom and lets us in on some case studies that may answer the burning question keeping up at night. Have you missed the boom? While the market and property values have increased dramatically since 2020, it doesn't mean you've lost out if you haven't acted yet. Lou delves straight into a case study that proves this. The first case, uh, case study is a, a, a property we bought for a client um, in Upper Coomera uh, about seven months ago now. Um, and this is an example that I wanted to share to show that uh, the urban sprawl that's happening as a result of this boom cycle um, and how it's affecting areas that was once uh, considered uh, average, you know, not the best kind of areas and how they're now becoming more sort of, you know, extremely sought after and extremely sort of um, owner-occupy friendly, if that makes sense. So anyway, we bought this property in Upper Coomera and by the way, we actually don't tend to target the Gold Coast too much. Uh, we're more sort of Brisbane focused, but when this deal came up, this actually, deal actually came up from an agent that we actually do a lot of deals with in the Brisbane area. Uh, he had an uh, investor client that wanted to offload this property off market. Back back when we bought it, it was off market. You know, it was still a good deal, all that kind of stuff. Anyway, it was a four bedroom uh, house. Uh, it, you know, a fairly new build. Uh, quite uh, common to the Upper Coomera area. So it was probably around about the sort of seven-year-old mark, six, seven-year-old mark, so fairly recent. Um, we paid $460,000 uh, for this property, which at the time, it, it was a good deal. It was below market value, I would say, by around about 10, 10% mark. But currently, if I look back at some of the properties that are selling in Coomera, almost exactly, Upper Coomera, sorry, that's almost exactly the same type of house style, specs, land size, and the rest of it. 
uh, it's worth somewhere in the vicinity of 700 to 750k at the moment. And this was within like a, a only like a seven month period that we've seen that you know ridiculous amount of growth or distance or equity or whatever you want to call it. Uh, I, I think at the, at the end of the day, so I think it begs the question: you know, has the ship sailed? You know, have is are we at a point in Brisbane or Southeast Queensland where um, where the the boom is 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 uh, is nearing the end, or has it gone a bit too crazy, so to speak? And my answer, and this is going to sound biased, is is not <laughs> is no. <laughs> we, I think we're still uh, we're still in the early, very early stages of the boom cycle. And I'm not only saying that as obviously uh, someone who's a buyer's agent who's buying heavily in Brisbane at the moment, um, but I'm also saying that from as an investor. Uh, with currently 18 properties in Brizzy, um, and I'm not selling any of them at the moment. You know, I'm keeping them; they're just keeping them rented out. I'm not. I'm not thinking. Oh, you know, the boom's gone crazy. It's going to get at the very top at the moment. I'm going to offload a bunch of them and move my capital somewhere else. Um, the reason why I say that it's not over is is based on a few, a few, um, a few fundamentals, I guess, about about Brisbane itself and and, and property market as a whole. So the first thing is, whilst while Brisbane, while Sydney and Melbourne has so Sydney and Melbourne, Brisbane, obviously three largest cities in Australia, while Sydney and Melbourne has uh, you know experienced you know the boom of a lifetime in the, over the past ten years, uh, everyone knows that Brisbane has kind of just sat on the sidelines, you know, basically done nothing, a little bit of percentage growth here and there, but nothing to write home about. Um, and the growth that we've seen over the past 12 months, as rapid as it has been, from what I can see on the ground, you know, that's been buying in these all these cities, is that there's been that kind of pent-up pressure for it to uh, catch up to areas, to, to cities like Sydney and Melbourne. And the, the crazy boom that we've seen in many ways has been that pressure being released. To some degree, um, you know, from four hundred, you know, sixty thousand dollars, using my example, to seven hundred thousand dollars, might although might seem excessive, at seven hundred thousand dollars, given its location, given where it is, given uh, you know the fact it's in proximity to Gold Coast and even Brisbane City, all those kinds of factors and fundamentals in place suggests that that $700,000 for a four-bedroom family home is still affordable. And you can't even buy that across Melbourne and Sydney. Melbourne, Sydney, impossible. You know, and when I say it's affordable, it's affordable. I mean, it's a lot of money, obviously, $700,000. But based on median income, based on affordability, based on, uh, you know, metrics, all those kinds of things as well, like, you know, what, what a typical family earns, you know, it's not out of reach for even even lower income uh, families, you know, we're not even talking about median income families. So it gives me a lot of confidence that a, a city as big as Brisbane and, and rapidly changing and growing as Brisbane has a lot of steam left. I don't want to say how much. I don't want to say how long it's going to be because I don't have a crystal ball. But like I said, you know, in, if you look at areas that are maybe a slightly further out from the city, not necessarily within the city itself, um, I feel like that there's still a lo- lot of opportunity here uh, for gentrification, for demographic change, for um, uh, 
you know, desirability, all those kinds of factors as well that come into play. And, and it's actually playing out now. You know, so, you know, as, as a lot, some listeners know, I, I'm, I'm very heavy in the Logan market, uh, in the Mawson Bay market as well. Um, and these two locations, you know, used to be ugly duckling areas, used to be, used to be working class, used to be, you know, some parts low socioeconomic. But recently, that urban sprawl has meant that it's, uh, it's, 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 it's grown quite rapidly. But even still, it's, you know, more than affordable. For average people to get into from an owner-occupier perspective, so I think that that tells me that this uh, this boom run, I guess, has a lot of leg left at the end of the day. It's really interesting that you say that as well, too. And no one knows unless you have a crystal ball to see that the future and say when the boom will end. We can only basically look at it how it happened in history and learn from history from what it is, because there will be a times and cycles in a market can go for seven to ten years. Um, it's been very interesting in the last probably decade since I've sort of just been more involved in the market. I've seen ups and downs in the, even the last, say, five years or so. You know, prior to COVID, we had a massive boom and then sort of plateaued out for a little bit. Then COVID hit and even more of a boom. So, sort of these sort of really interesting small troughs. And the question is, is when will this sort of get to a point where it either stabilize? I don't think it will have a huge drop. You know, I haven't ever seen that happen in any particular history point in time. Um, unless there was a catastrophic type of thing that was like the flooding, you know, that's obviously why Brisbane market um, dropped dramatically because of the flooding. I mean, Brisbane floods every year <laughs> to some degree. So I, would, I wouldn't take too much. I mean, obviously, if it's a massive flood event, then yes, it could have a big impact. But interestingly, the, the, the reason why Brisbane took such a big hit of the property market during the last flooding event was that it actually came, the flooding event came off the back of the GFC. So the, the GFC happened and real, Sydney, Australian property was relatively untouched from the GFC, but it was kind of teetering on the edge. You know what I mean? And I think what happened in Brisbane when that massive flood event also came through, it kind of just pushed a little bit over the edge. And then that's when we saw a little bit of a correction in, in a lot of Brisbane markets during the consequent years. Um, but what, what I'm finding interesting now is that because recently there's obviously been talks of interest rate rises. Well, actually, there are, there are interest rate rises um, happening uh, with banks, at least, not necessarily with the RBA. Um, and also with lending restrictions as well. The... The, the market is kind of being more sort of segmented into uh, into the cheaper end or the more sort of affordable end of the market and the more premium end of the market. Now, previous to talks of interest rate rises, previous to talks of lending restrictions, the premium market was going absolutely nuts, right? You were getting houses, especially in Sydney, for example, that you know were $3 million becoming $6 million you know, within a matter of months. I know, that's crazy. Like, how is that possible? And I kept asking that question, why? Um, I mean, I think all of us are asking that question, why? And, uh, you know, there are several factors as to why people are buying $6 million houses to live in. And one of the main reasons is that is because they're also selling a house that's $6 million, <laughs> you know, so they're kind of just changing hands. But, um, but what's, what I'm finding interesting now is that that, particular premium end of the market, even in Brisbane, you know, in Brisbane, we're not talking three, three to six mil, maybe around about the two mil mark. Uh, it's, it's, it's not only quietened down a lot, but there's a, been a lot more listings coming on the market as well. Uh, and that's down to the fact that there's, a, what, what we're seeing is that there's been a lot of sort of, I wouldn't say greedy sellers 
for greedy vendors, but obviously vendors that are waiting for the boom cycle to max out before they put their property on market and get a highest price. And it's it, we're starting to see a flood of listings in the in the market at the moment in the very premium end. And when you go to auctions, they're nowhere near as packed as they were from you know three to six months ago. Um, and we're seeing properties that are, are are listed for a lot longer. Now, if you look at that particular market alone, you might think, oh, you know, the market's slowing down. You know, the property is starting to go backwards. You know, all those kinds of uh, assumptions. But if you look at the cheaper end of the market or the more affordable ends, I'm actually seeing a lot more activity at this end of the market because the people that used to be able to afford or were maybe comfortable buying one to two million dollars worth of property are now looking at cheaper alternatives. So the appetite for property hasn't stopped, especially like you know without with a buyers agency that we run, uh, that I run, you know demand is higher than ever before. But the, the, the type of properties that people want to buy now are more affordable. They're a lot less a lot less risky. And also the cash flow seems to be a lot higher as well. Uh, and they're seeing opportunities here because or they're seeing more potential here because uh, you know I think at the end of the day, if people can only afford to borrow a certain amount of their times of their income, which is basically what the uh, what the uh, the lending restrictions are all about, then they're going to be looking at uh, at stuff that's going to be cheaper, really, at the end of the day. So whilst the premium market's cooling down, we're seeing the affordable market becoming more heated, um, and uh, and and I think that's uh, uh, happening not only in in uh, in in cities alone, but it's actually happening within cities itself. Coming up after the break, we discuss the social economic impacts that affect different areas. But uh, these areas also tend to have the most potential to experience gentrification, demographic change. Why sticking to the area you know best isn't always the best strategy. The fundamentals still need to make sense. Um, it's about buying. It's not. It's about not having not not be sort of limited to your own bias. He explains why you shouldn't get to the point where you're ready to buy, but sit and wait for the right moment. I remember pre-COVID, there were so many people um, waiting because of the uncertainty uh, of COVID, obviously, and rightly so. You know, no one, nobody knew what was going to happen. And that's next. I'm Tyron Sham, and you're listening to Property Investory. Have you been looking for months and getting frustrated that each property you've seen since be a lemon? Or are you after distress, off-market, high cash flow properties in high growth areas, capital city locations? If you answered yes to either of these questions, you are not alone. For being a loyal listener of the podcast, Simon Liu is offering a free one-hour strategy session normally valued at $500 to help put together an actionable property plan. To get your free strategy session, simply visit housefinder.com.au and fill out the contact form or call Simon directly on 0415-626-342 and quote Property Investory. Coming back, Lou explains the elements that often shape investors' property moves and goals and why they differ greatly between each individual. 
I mean, I think it, it, it depends on so many factors. You know, it depends on your income, it depends on how much money you have, <laughs> depends on whether you're starting out, it depends on how many properties, like so many, so many factors. Um, one of the biggest factors, I think, however, is the, uh, um, the, it also depends on people's goals. You know, some people don't want to buy five or six properties. Uh, and, uh, you know, maybe they just want to park their money in, 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 in properties that... Like blue chip properties, they can just buy four or five and, and that's it, yeah. Yeah, over a very long time and, you know, they're, they're, they're happy with that. But from, from, a, from an investor perspective where their goal is to, you know, achieve long-term passive income or expose themselves to a lot more capital growth, um, my pick has always been not the super cheap end of the market, not, but definitely not the blue chip end of the market. I would say somewhere in the middle. Uh, somewhere in the middle, maybe erring to the side of more affordable. Because time and time again, these are the areas that experience the most percentage growth, right? And it comes not only because it's starting off from a lower price point. You know, it's much easier for a $500,000 house to become a million dollars than a million dollars to become two million, you know, based on affordability, all that kind of stuff, right? Um, both achieving 100% growth. Um, but uh, these areas also tend to have the most potential to experience gentrification, demographic change. You know, because the blue chip suburbs that we're seeing today used to be crap, <laughs> used to be, you know, working class, used to be parts of the inner west of, uh, of Sydney. Sydney, typical examples, yes. Exactly. You know, even some of the inner parts of, of Brizzy used to be really sort of run down, but over time, when people during a, a particular boom cycle, when people can't afford that particular blue chip property at that time, they bought the next best thing, the next best thing, which was a little bit further out. So, you know, I think if you buy well and select these particular areas that I would consider are next in line to gentrify, I think that that, that kind of puts you in the best position from a, from a growth perspective, but also from an accumulation perspective, because those properties happen to provide the best cash flow and good cash flow means you can buy more means you can potentially borrow more as well so so i always still prefer to pick that end of the market purely from an investment standpoint um and uh and and they're you know they're, they're somewhat what i call bulletproof you know whether there's covid whether there's good times or bad times or whatever you know if you're buying a major capital city built up area where there's consistent population demand uh, the affordable end of the market will never uh, will never be stagnant, you know, from a rental perspective, from a people wanting to live in perspective. At the end of the day, you know, housing is definitely a necessity and affordable housing uh, is always needed, you know, from young families, from people starting out, from people that's new to the city perhaps, or maybe people that, are, you know, have had a, a, an income decrease and they need to be, Need to live more frugally, uh, so so it's it's from a from an owner or landlord perspective, I think it's a lot more secure. Also, I agree with you on that side. And and let's talk a little bit about this FOMO, you know, fear of missing out, because I think a lot of it due to COVID ha has also pushed a lot of people to kind of buy. You know, a lot of people I speak to, uh, particularly you know first home buyers, you know, even some of my relatives who are still just recently getting to the market because they're still young. You know, I've got young 
young uh yeah siblings so they're like oh you know it's so expensive here living in sydney but like they're just like worried that they'll miss out because the prices keep going up but when you actually look at it from a long-term perspective it's not about the necessarily you know that you'd be missing out you know you, you got to look at it from a long-term perspective that you jump into the market at any point in time could be when it's the lowest or the highest no one knows but getting into the market you know as long as you're in the market you allow for the actual I guess you can say capital growth, you know, to happen over a period of time. And, and this is what I was just saying, like what you're saying exactly spot on. Even though those properties have gone from say 450 when you first purchased it say 12, 18 months ago to up to say 700,000, at this point in time, that is what the market is. But in say 10 years time, the properties could be double, you know, from 500 to a million dollars, especially in those particular areas because it's affordable. So, I think, you know, in the perspective for say investors as we're talking about here is to look at it from the timing perspective is that when you can afford to buy right now or when you can afford to buy a property, that is probably going to be the ideal time. You're not going to miss out on anything because that's basically just market hype. But if you're looking from a long-term perspective, just get into a market that is you know, affordable for your situation and what your goals are. And just to add on to that, it's not necessarily just affordable and go for it. Like the fundamentals still need to make sense. Um, it's about buying. It's not. It's about not having not not be sort of limited to your own bias. You know, I see this a lot, especially from Sydney siders, because um, for some reasons, people who live in Sydney love to only buy in Sydney, <laughs> even if it just makes absolutely no sense. You know, let's say you know anywhere in Sydney that you buy today, you could have bought three, four. You know, not three, four years, but you know, even. Within the last 10 years, you could have bought for at least half, you know. So without having a crystal ball, we all know that at least you've missed out on that growth already. But they still want to be fixated on buying in Sydney because they, they, it might be fear of missing out. It might be the fact that they think that it's like a runaway train and it's just going to keep going and going and going. It's not possible. I'm not suggesting that Sydney is, is going to experience like a massive drop or anytime soon. But there will be a point where it's just going to plateau or maybe even drop a little bit um, for an extended period of time. Okay, So don't be afraid to buy outside of your backyard. Just also add as well too, when you think about it, if say for example, job um, employment and also people's wages don't increase and it stays to an average of where it is, you know, for to be able to p- allow people to afford an average one point five million to two million dollar home in Sydney, there's no way that prices could continue to go up that high unless there's old money or people have actually you know made a lot of money from elsewhere to be able to buy. But the average say person that lives in Sydney, you can't expect to be you know affording to buy one point five million dollar property just in an average job. So therefore, prices can't keep going up the way out. One point five million can't get you anything in Sydney. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's what, that's what I'm trying to say. It, it, that's the, the, the biggest issue. So, therefore, if you think that the price is going to double in, say, 10 years, maybe it will. I don't know. But, I mean, just historically, it has been. But until the wages or, or people's jobs, um, I guess, income increases, there's really no way for that to happen. And all, all the government can do is either reduce interest rates, but then that just increases the debt or somehow you know, put incentives in place to be able to keep these prices at a reasonable price. But that, that's probably the reason why people keep moving out of Sydney and going to, I guess, more affordable locations such as Brisbane to be able to still get something that's affordable for their family and stuff. Just jump around. Like, you know, I grew up and live in Sydney. I love Sydney, um, even now with all, the, with, all the, with all the traffic and all the, all the, all the, all the changes. Um, 
but even I recognised very, very early on that, you know, Sydney was, uh, is, uh, is at its peak, you know, and that's why we've been buying heavily in Brizzy. And when, when Brizzy gets to a point where it's at its peak, we'll be buying in the next best thing and the next best thing after that. So it's kind of just moving around and ensuring that we're buying in areas that, um, you know, at the end of the day, fits the numbers, fits the strategy, fits your own goals. Um, consistent action moving forward is super, super important. You know, you never want to wait for the right time to buy because in reality, there is no such thing as the right time. You know, I remember pre-COVID, there were so many people um, waiting because of the uncertainty uh, of COVID, obviously, and rightly so. You know, no one, nobody knew what was going to happen. So they waited, waited, waited. And then after COVID, when everything was going up rapidly in Brisbane City, everywhere, they were they were giving themselves a different excuse as to, oh, you know, it's too it's moving too quickly now. I'm going to wait until it slows down. <laughs> so it's kind of like an endless cycle of waiting um, for different reasons. Now, I'm I'm not saying this to suggest that you just go out and buy every, every everything and anything in sight, but it's about having that goal. It's about working backwards from that goal and figuring out, okay, if I want to achieve X amount, how many properties do I need to buy? Um, over a certain amount of time frame, how often do I need to buy it? Uh, and when you break it down like that, you can see very clearly, let's say over a 12 or 24 month period, what you need to do. You might need to buy one property consistently every 12 months or every 24 months. Um, and that's how you move towards your goal. Whether that property is in Brisbane or Adelaide or Perth or Sydney or Melbourne, um, it almost doesn't matter if the, if you're buying at the right time in the right market cycle at the time and also buying the right property, which we always talk about is buying distressed, low market value houses, good cash flow, capital cities, good built up areas, high demand, you know, all those kinds of factors in play. That's how you set up that initial portfolio that's going to ultimately get you to a point where you've got either a lot of equity coming through or you've got a lot of cash flow or both. So, so um, just keep your eye on the on the on the end goal. And, and that that's a really really good point that you've made. Then that's why I love this conversation that we're having. Is that ultimately you've got to really be clear about your goals that you want to achieve. Everyone's situation is going to be different. You know, Simon and my situation is completely different. We've got different families here, and our goals are different. You know, but ultimately, whatever you choose as being your goal, you've got to be able to fit those criteria to match it because. Otherwise, you know, you can say, oh, I want to go buy 20 properties but what's the real reason behind it? You've got to really dig deeper and say, okay, is it to fund, you know, charity events or is it to fund, you know, our lifestyle? Is it to fund this X, Y, and Z? And if you're not clear about those goals, then yes, it'd be very easy to say, you know, I'm missing out because of the FOMO but when you take that all aside and that's all market noise as we all know and you go and go, okay, look, I want to achieve say $100,000. This is just you know, a random number that I'm picking that will be able to cover all my expenses and I can live comfortably with my family, enjoy time and you know, travel, etc. Then that's ultimately the goal that you got to say, I'm going to aim for and then I've got to work backwards and break that down to go, this is the X amount of properties I need to buy to be able to achieve that goal, whatever it is. So, it, it's, it's so important to be there and I think this has been a fantastic conversation that we've had because you know, the, the topic obviously I've said, you know, has have you missed the boom but you never will miss the boom to be honest in our opinion because it's always going to be one. <laughs> yes, there will be one at, at any point in time, uh, wherever you are unless obviously there's like a massive global event. <laughs> I don't know if we'll have another one of these global pandemics for a while. I hope not. <laughs> 
I mean, even the pandemic, you know, didn't stop, you know, some some cities temporarily did, but, you know, like, you know, I'm talking like something huge. Um, but I think at that point, you know, property is probably going to be the last thing that people are going to be thinking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But uh, just be logical about it. Just take action and steps moving forward. Uh, make sure you're getting good deals. Don't get FOMO. Don't get, don't get, uh, don't get, uh, don't get, give yourself any sort of time pressure to do anything. Um, and, uh, and yeah, happy investing. Thank you to buyer's agent Simon Liu, our guest on this special episode of Invest Like a Pro presented by Housefinder. Also, for being a loyal listener of the podcast, I've asked Simon to offer a free one-hour strategy session normally valued at $500 to help you put together an actionable property plan. To get your free strategy session, simply visit housefinder.com.au and fill out the contact form or call Simon directly on 0415-626-342 and quote, Property Investory. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone.